also think that I did all I could to hold our family together, right? I was kind of the glue because my mom and my dad stood in separate spaces. And when they would fight, I was the one that would come in between and say, hey, you know, let's work this, work this through. And I wanted to impress and I wanted to lead. And so in that, I could also see other people who were struggling and come alongside them and help them. And I felt like I was able to lead in, in that way. Leading is not fixing. Leading is not rescuing. Leading is not forcing an outcome and working harder than others. Overfunctioning, a term coined by Murray Bowen, who is the founder of Bowen Family Systems Theory, brought to light a very common response to anxiety, overfunctioning. When you're responding to stress and distress as an overfunctioner, you're quick to take charge, you work harder than anyone else in the group, and this often leads to feelings of frustration, resentment, and overwhelm. Because this pace and the expectations of an overfunctioner are not sustainable. Now, do not dismiss this term since it was first used in family therapy. This is a dynamic that happens in all of the various relationships in life work, friendship, community, in addition to parenting and romantic relationships. It is a slippery slope between leading and overfunctioning. We see what needs to be done. We want to see success in the lives of those who we lead, yet we can't want it more than those we lead and serve. When we fall into overfunctioning, anxiety is now in the driver's seat. It is tricky because part of your superpower is seeing the solution, seeing what needs to be done, and knowing what needs to be fixed. I'm Rebecca Ching, and you're listening to The Unburdened Leader, the show that goes deep with leaders whose burdens have inspired their life's work. Our goal is to learn how they've addressed these burdens, how they rise from them, and become better and more impactful leaders of themselves and others. Overfunctioning is the norm for so many leaders. Some of the most powerful and impactful leaders I know built their skills from challenging early life experiences. And these hard experiences feel a high sense of responsibility and a whole lot of initiative. Problems become just the challenge of the day to overcome and figure out, which is so foundational to the mindset of an entrepreneur. When you struggle through hard things, you get a sense of how to rise from them and get a sense of control when everything else feels out of control. Overfunctioning shows up when responsibility over your own life tips into also taking responsibility for the lives and work of others too. It starts off well-intentioned or out of necessity, and then it becomes the status quo that has entwined your worth, your energy, and your safety. Today's guest is a powerhouse serial entrepreneur who is leading and working hard to make everything around her beautiful and filled with meaning and purpose. Christelle is the owner of six businesses. She is a creative entrepreneur and vision strategist for business leaders. She's the founder and design of planning companies, couture events, Coco and Wim, as well as Confetti Inc., a community for creative entrepreneurs. With over a decade of experience growing three thriving businesses, Christelle is dedicated to inspiring fellow leaders and entrepreneurs through her successes and her struggles. Pay attention as Christelle connects the dots between her passion for creating experiences with vision and meaning to her responsibility in her family of origin along with the beauty she is committed to creating out of a space of pain and loss. Notice how important boundaries are in her work and the fruits of starting her own family supported her coming into her own. Now, I am so excited to introduce you to this powerhouse of vision and heart. Please welcome Christelle Stacy to the Unburdened Leader podcast. Christelle I am so honored that you are with me today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You know, I had heard about you. I think we were, I was passively following you in social media. I think like kind of the 
one degree of separation thing in the San Diego business leader community. Mm-hmm. And there was something about you and your stories that, that kind of kept me hanging on every time I did that self-select, like I want to edit, like, oh, who am I following? I want to clean it up. I never, yeah. ever edited your stuff because there was, I always, there's something I felt good about myself. I always got something valuable yeah. and I was curious. So when a friend of mine joined your recent book tour yes. now on, on indefinite pause, I showed up at an event of yours and I was like, I was listening to you and I was like, wow, there's a lot of what you're saying is stuff that we hear. There there was some pretty general concepts, but it was mm-hmm. you saying it and how you were saying it that just had me sitting up in my seat saying, I want to know her more. And so I am so thrilled um, that we've gotten, we've connected personally and that uh, I get to share some of your story today. So thank yeah. you for being here. Definitely. And let me just tell you that I first saw you speak at Yellow Conference um, when it came to San Diego. And I was like, this woman is amazing. I love everything about this. And afterwards, I remember coming up to you and talking to you. And that's when I started following you. Um, And I'm sure, you know, there were so many people there that day, but I started following you from that. And then um, you followed me back and I was so honored and excited that you followed me back. It was like, oh my gosh. Uh, so that was awesome. <laughs> I was just on a panel that day and you were like one of the main speakers. And so, um, yeah, so I really have enjoyed following you as well. It's not funny, the follow love, but I, I think there's also some good stuff that comes from social media. And I've been particularly moved by our San Diego business community. We have something really special here mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you are a really powerful leader in this community. And I'll, I'll tell you one of the stories that hooked me, you are prolific on stories. Like you are. <laughs> Thank you. you no. Know, and, but in the way that's just human. And, and of course, one story hooked me uh, is you were at your childhood home in Ramona or Julian? Ramona. Hamul. 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 It's my bad. No. In the general area. Yeah. This, this, this out is the, the coaster. Yeah. Out in the mountains. You were giving this tour and you started sharing some things about your story. Your family was about to put your home on the market mm-hmm. and you talked about these different memories and you were showing different awards and accolades and achievements and these beautiful, idyllic places that you played growing up. But some of the things you shared really captivated me. And I'm wondering if you can talk about what was below below the surface of fine and and of the picture perfect childhood. There was you were struggling as a child of an alcoholic. Yeah. So what was going on in your home that many could not see? Well, and even that you saw that in the stories and that, I mean, I think I talked, I may have, you know, just shared that it was hard to be there, but I didn't share that much. And you still caught that like, there's something going on much deeper than what you see on the surface. And so thank you, first of all, for seeing that and catching that. Um, And second of all, yeah, so growing up, um, well, first, let me start by saying I usually don't talk a lot lot about my past private life. Um, I'm an Enneagram 7 wing 8. So I run from anything uncomfortable. Uh (laughs) I try to ignore it and like push it away. And it's not something that I usually um, talk about. I'm I'm excited about like fun, new things, what I'm doing in the future, um, talking about past hurt, trauma, is not my usual jam. Um, but I feel like you go so deep with people and that it is a part of me and it's a part of my past and a part of who I am now and what, what I've come to. Uh, and so that's why I'm happy to share it and talk about it. Uh, but usually I, I stick to like the positive where we're going in the future instead of talking about this. Um, so I, yeah, I grew up with a father who was an alcoholic and um, everything on the outside looked really good, right? Like we lived in a beautiful home. It was a beautiful Tudor home out in the hills of Hamul. Uh, It was just me, my mom and my dad. And my mom had told me when I was young, don't tell anyone about your dad. Um, It's not anyone else's business. And it wasn't anyone else's business, but that did burden me because I felt like I have this huge secret that no one else knows about. And um, yeah, so that's kind of a little bit about what was going on there. Um, my parent, let me, my, my parents are both amazing and what they have each done and accomplished astonishes me. And I really did have an idyllic childhood. Um, growing up out in, out in the mountains, like we had land, we had space, it was beautiful. Um, but while the outside looked picture perfect, the deep secret, um, was my father. Um, 
my mom wanted what was best for me. She wanted me to have friends and she wanted me to be able to have people over. And uh, she felt that if other people knew that would change their perception of me and as our, of our family. And I think she was right, but I don't. And so I don't know what the answer is with that. I don't know if how my life would look different if I would have um, felt free to share that with other people growing up. Well, Krista, uh, I, yeah, and I, I want to just jump in here too, because you're clearly, you know, the best of your parents. And I, I, this is when we talk about the heart and I'm saying this to our listeners too, when we talk about the hard things from our stories, often a lot of times there's a sense of betrayal or fear of not honoring people who gave so much, particularly for people who have stories like yours, where much was given, much was offered, even though there was some emotional relational pain in that. And there's a disorienting tension in that. So I just want to acknowledge that, that this isn't about blame or right or wrong. This is your story. And and as I, when, as I get into talking more about what you're doing with your life, I feel like it informs so much of, of you, but, but tell me a little bit more about that tension that you held, like, just because you, you wanted to protect what was private, right? This was the family at, at the same time, this was a secret that burdened you. How did that impact you as a kid? I would say as a kid, I I didn't let a lot of people in because I couldn't. Right. And so it wasn't until high school that I shared with my suit, like a super close friend group. I had um, three other friends that I was very close to, and I felt like I can, I can share with them. Uh, The other thing is, is that people see a lot more than what we can see. And so I'm sure everyone saw through it. Like people knew my, who my dad was like, we're at the pub hanging out. Like, I don't have to hide that growing up as a kid. Um, I, I did grow up in like the local bars and restaurants, like the, the bartenders knew me by name. I ordered the, my little pony, which was a Shirley Temple with less grenadine in it. And it was like pink oh, and I right. called it the, my little pony. Goodness. Um, so that was when I was younger and, uh, and my mom soon got me out of the, the bar scene as I started to grow up, she became a Christian and, um, but my dad stayed the same and he just had the alcohol had such a strong hold on him. And I think that I always wanted to fix him. I always wanted to make it better. And I wanted to accomplish more to show him that, um, that he didn't have to live that way anymore. Um, I, I'm not, he was an entrepreneur himself. And so I'm not sure how he ran a business and was an alcoholic, but that was happening. (laughs) Um, and yeah, so I think that growing up as a kid, it was hard, but it also, I didn't know any different either, you know? So you said something, I always wanted to fix him. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me more about, about the, that burden of always wanting to fix him? I felt like if I could just show him a better life, if I could show him a better way, if I could show him like, look what I'm doing at school, look how I'm accomplishing more. Look, um, you know, I was president of my class from junior high on. So junior high, um, through high school, I was I was president of my class and I wanted him to see like, your daughter's an amazing leader. You, you know, and, but nothing I did could change him. And that was a really hard realization. Yeah. That's such, that's the hard part. That's the hard part. But when you're carrying a secret and you love someone deeply and you've got skills mm-hmm. and it, and, and even just so as a kid, your entrepreneur spirit, I didn't realize your father was also an entrepreneur. So this is in your DNA. Mm-hmm. How, how else did your leadership and entrepreneurial spirit show up when you were a kid? You just mentioned you were class president in junior high and high school. What are some other things that showed up in that entrepreneur spirit, that drive, even the parallel aspect of that drive was to show dad, hey, there's another way. Yep, definitely. And and I also think that I did all I could to hold our family together, right? I was kind of the glue because my mom and my dad stood in separate spaces. And when they would fight, I was the one that would come in between and say, Hey, you know, let's work this, work this through. Um, and I wanted to impress and I wanted to lead. And I started a club actually in elementary school. We called it the animal club and we would visit like, <laughs> the national cat society. Um, even though I'm highly allergic to cats and I had, I, it's like a completely different story, but I would have to wear it like uh, socks on my hands and, and goggles on my face and a mask. And I, but I wanted to see these cats and I wanted to show people that like, we can save these cats insanity. Um, but at the time (laughs) I thought it was the best that I could do. Um, I enrolled my friends at school and as I got older, I started to gravitate, um, towards, towards leadership. I wasn't the 
most popular kid, as you can see, like I was, I was wearing go goggles on my face and socks on my hands. Um, but I also wasn't the, the nerdiest kid, but I was friends with everyone. And so in that, and I could also see, um, I could also see other people who were struggling and come alongside them and help them. And I felt like I was able to lead in, in that way. Um, yeah. I think that's powerful. And it, so I'm, I'm sitting here and my therapist parts of me are going, well, no surprise that, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur yourself in the arena of weddings and events and corporate experiences, like the things where you are the glue, where you keep everything together, you create these beautiful experiences and give them something that maybe they don't beyond what they imagined. And that gives you mm -hmm. a sense of pride and joy and accomplishment. So, I mean, it, I'm not going to be like Captain Obvious here, but wow. I mean, it's amazing how this burden, <laughs> that was really hard though, also informed these businesses, like this, this amazing impact that you're having on the community and beyond. So can you talk to me more about that? Yeah, definitely. So growing up, I went to a lot of parties. We had a lot of parties at our own house. We had a lot of parties um, that, that we were going to. And I would say I noticed that there was no meaning behind them. There was no, uh, mm. there was no purpose and it was just chaos. And I think at a young age, I thought like this could be so much more meaningful and it could be so much better organized. And I could do that. Like I could take this on and I can make this better. And so as I grew up and, um, and was involved in student government in school, but then also uh, in college, even I started to arrange people's events and birthday parties and fun things for them that I was like, this, this could be so much better. What's your purpose of this event? And they're like, it's a birthday party for and I'm like, I understand it's your birthday party, but how can we get to like the purpose or the heart? And it's like to love on you or to make you feel um, special. And so how can we do that? What's the best way we can do that? And how can we do it in an organized and really well thought out way? So that I think uh, you pointed that out to me and I hadn't thought about that before that that's why. And it took me some time to like mull this over. And as you said, you wanted to interview me. I was like, wait a minute, there totally is a connection there, but I had never noticed it before. So, oh, it's a huge connection. You're, I mean, just the drive that you had to keep your family together, <clears throat> to have meaning and purpose, to have clarity, to have connection to love, like that drove you. Mm -hmm. It was your glue. And as a young kid and many people, at least in my, in my training, especially with trauma training and, 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 and kids who grow up and where alcohol or substances are abused, trauma isn't maybe like the stereotype. It's more of like these breaches of connection and these little betrayals of trust and disappointments that like add up Constant, over time. Right. Constantly. Yeah. And it's like, why, like, uh, how, can I change this? What can I do? And there, there was no, there was no answer there, but I constantly tried. I constantly wanted things to be different. So interesting. Yeah. And that drive of wanting things to be different has led you again. How, how many businesses do you own right now? I have six businesses. <laughs> which um, and, tell, and tell our audience how old you are. It's quite a lot. I'm 33. So yes, yes. Just wanted to put context in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think that I, it has led me to this place where I feel like you can design a life that you love. You can design the perfect event. You can't like, there's so much that you can do if you want it and if you want to do it. And so I now work with people and I, mm -hmm. my mission now is like, I can't want it more for them than they want it for themselves. And <laughs> yes, so, amen to that. Yeah. So I have to make sure that they want this and they want it badly. Like how badly do you want your event to be spectacular? Great. Then I can help you with that. But also when I started going into, when I wrote the book and when I started going into speaking myself and helping women design their lives and design their businesses, it's like, well, how badly do you want it? What do you want to do with it? And if they are going full all out, then like, I am happy to come alongside you and help you in that. But if you don't care about it, then I can't care for you. So uh, let me, let me just dial back on that. Cause I think you're onto something really significant. Did you realize that at first, especially when you're getting into the event and wedding planning, like, I mean, were you, did you find yourself working harder than your clients and over-functioning? Yes. yes. Tell, talk about, talk about some of the things that happened because of that and what you found yourself in, in those situations. Well, of course, I just wanted everything to be above and beyond and I saw what it could be. And so I would, 
I would go out of my way to make sure that things were uh, more than what they expected. And, and then the things would happen where they, they just weren't as happy with it as I wanted them to be, or they didn't see what was being done. And I was like, how do you not see how spectacular and great this is? And, mm-hmm. um, or they didn't want it. You know, we designed this beautiful event and they're like, yeah, no, I think I'm just going to go with the white linen. And it was like, oh, 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 okay. Well then why did I spend hours planning this out for you if you don't want it? Like, so it took me a while because in the beginning I did take anything and everything, right? In business, that's what you do, especially when you're a young entrepreneur. I took on every event that came my way and I thought that I had to. And, and at the time, uh, even events that weren't a good fit for me, I would take on because it was like, well, we're just going to do this. And now, yes, it's taken 12 years. I can see from a mile away, I can see the red flags and I can say like, hey, yeah, if you if you don't want it, then I'm then you're not for me. <laughs> I, I just think there's... I can't help but suspect there was some powerful shifts for you internally and personally with this professional awareness, right? Like I, if you don't want this as bad as I do, I'm just thinking, I keep going back to your childhood. If you don't want recovery, if you don't want sobriety, if you don't want this connection and this unit, the way that I do, I got to, I got to tap out right? or else I'll lose my, I'll lose myself. Those are my words. Yep. And, and then that, did that, did that playing out with, how did that playing out with your clients impact your own personal life and your relationship with your family of origin? I think that I was able to see more and more, uh, looking back at my life, how, how much I had, like how much I had done and how much I had tried. Um, my parents actually got divorced after I, uh, got married myself. And so in that, I felt like, well, could I have held them together if I would have shown them more, or if I would have a ton more, once again, it goes back to that. Um, but I had to realize like, no, this, this had been coming for a long, long time. And, um, and I can't want this more for them than they want it for themselves. And I think that it was healthy for me to take a step back and say, it's okay. Like it, it's okay. And it was healing for me to do that because that was hard. Uh, yeah. I can't help but think though, Christelle, that you are, people are like a moth to you, the flame who want to be fixed and everything made perfect by you. I'm sure there are people that have come, clients, friends, uh, you're, you you guys can't see this right now, but Christelle's eyes just got really big. <laughs> yes, I'm like, nodding. Yes, like, yes, yes. And because you're the one like you can make it all better. So you are the one that can make my life better. You can make my event perfect and then make my dreams come true. You can be the best friend or whatever. Talk to me a little about how that's played out in your life. Well, let me tell you. Dating, <laughs> dating was a problem in my life because I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to fix these people. Like I couldn't fix my dad, but I'm totally going to fix him. It's going to happen. It's going to work. Right. So I dated all the wrong guys and I did that. And I think that through that, I realized like, Hey, people, they do want me to fix them. They want me to, but, but once again, I, I can't want it more for them than they want it for themselves. And so with events and with clients now, um, I, I have to be selective because, because of my past and because I know what I, what I know and what I've learned that, um, I, I can't get myself deeply involved because I will get hurt. Right. So I, I'm able to keep a healthy distance because of that and draw boundaries and lines. Um, I have a lot of clients, wedding clients who want to be friends, right? That's what they want. They want to have a deeper friendship and that's not what the job is for me. And that's not what's going to give them the best event. The best event's going to come when I am able to fully design, create and make something really special for them. Uh, and so I have learned to be able to draw that line and that boundary, but it came after a lot of time. Right. And, and a lot of, 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 of hurt relationships, a lot of hurt. Mm-hmm. How does that, how did that play out in work? You talked about dating and trying to fix all these guys. And <clears throat> that's not love. <laughs> that's exhaustion. Yeah. Um, and, and over functioning again, I mean, cause it's you, you grew up 
with a PhD, you, you left your family with a PhD in overfunctioning. And overfunctioning is a term that comes from Murray Bowen, who founded um, Bowen Family Systems Therapy. So it's just this term that's an anxiety response where we overfunction and then other people underfunction. Mm-hmm. And you probably like you would draw the underfunctioners, right? They're like, rescue me, fix yes. me, yes, make uh-huh. it, <laughs> make it better. How again, and, and it, when you're talking about events and particularly weddings, like, Oh my gosh, Christelle, you're like my best friend. You're my everything. You're going to, how did you, what are some of the key practices you develop? You talked about boundaries and really keeping a distance. Can you, can you operationalize that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, let me see. I think that, uh, I, I give them, I give them guidelines and I outline exactly what I'm going to deliver from the beginning, letting them know that I can't, I can't go to dinner every week. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, um, be, be there at all times of the day. This is the time when I'm available. These are the, this is how I'm going to answer you. This is how I work best. And so I'm able to draw those lines now, but it did take time for me to do that. And I would say some of our coordinators still, so I, I own the company, but we have coordinators that work for us. And, um, one of our coordinators hadn't drawn those boundaries and I let them decide on their own what's best for them. Some of them want to be friends with the clients. I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, you just have to make sure that you know what your boundaries are. Um, and she met with a client every week for two years to plan her wedding. And like, they would just go out to dinner and have fun with it and have a good time. And 30 days before the girl's wedding, she cancels, she cancels her wedding. <laughs> and, um, and it, it was so traumatic and so upsetting for my coordinator on a business level, but also on a personal level, because she felt betrayed by this person, um, in both senses. Right. So I think that, I have have watched it happen and watched it go down, but I feel like I am very clear about when I'm going to be available and how our relationship is going to work. I don't know. And if you that set helps. that tone. You set that tone from verbally and in writing. I suspect it's yes. in contract and mm-hmm. exactly. And I suspect you have to repeat that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the way that you treat them is the way that they're going to treat you. Right. So for me, mm-hmm. when I, um, when I contact the client, I'm going to text them first, or I'm going to email them first and let them know what time we're setting up our appointment. I'm not just going to call them on the fly and like tell them all the things that I, or ask them questions that I want to know. I want to make sure it's set up uh, and so that they have expectation and they know when that's going to happen. And I, expect the same from them. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. And it's those simple things. And I, I guess my brain is just going to, especially with events where it can be so personal and you're working a lot with people, how easy it would be like, you're so cool. You're so fun. And, and to lose that and the practice it takes, but also just hearing the differentiation of you separating your worthiness and the value of the event from their opinion. And and also having to make sure they're happy 24-7 versus here's what I'm here for and here's what I'm not here for. Right. Well, I think that if I didn't, I would I would be doing your job and my job, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel like I, I have to because otherwise we do become the family psychologist. We become the person who wants to make sure. And, and I tell them from the beginning, like, that's one thing I can't control. I can't control your family. We've had, let me tell you, we've had so many beautiful events that... Uh, the client might have a, um, a sour taste in their mouth because of events that happened, the family events that happened at the wedding, not having anything to do with us. And mm. in the past, if I got myself involved, uh, then it became even like it, it tripled. Right. Uh, and so I had, I had to take a step back and say, all I can control is the event itself. I can't control how your family is reacting to different situations and reacting to your marriage right now. I, that's something I can't do. <laughs> So you you used to get in there, you used to get in the weeds, then I'm hearing with a lot of these family dynamics and expectations. I would feel it. I would feel it so heavily. uh, And I wanted to help them. I wanted to make it right, right? That's what I do. I, I fix things. I make it better. I... I wanted to make it special for them. And so I would do all that I could to do that. And now I've, I've realized that, yeah, you have to be able to separate. Yeah. And you just said that again, I wanted to make it right. And that just goes back to the beginning of our interview, even talking about 
your, your family and with your father. I wanted to fix it. I wanted to make it right. It's such a driving theme in you, but you have, have grown up and you've, you have again, moved away from your safety and your worthiness and your purpose being to make everyone else happy. Yeah. Well, and I realized I couldn't, I had to learn that lesson time and time again, but I remember back to when I was probably like 12 years old, my dad came home drunk and I knew when he walked in the house that he was just going to go and drink more. Um, my mom and dad were fighting and I went to the fridge and I took all the alcohol bottles outside, uh, on the, on the front, um, pathway. And I just started smashing them one by one. Cause I thought if he doesn't, if he can't have the alcohol, then, then this could be healed. And I'm also making a statement, like I'm saying, I don't want you to do this anymore. And I hope that he'll be able to see like, this is hurting me. This is hurting our family. This is hurting mom. Um, and it, I, I got through like four or five <laughs> smash bottles and they came outside and my mom is yelling and she's like, go upstairs. You need to get upstairs now. And my dad's telling me, you know, I can't believe you're doing this. What are you thinking? And, um, you know, they were both scared for my safety and I get that now, but I, I, I wanted to make it better and I made things worse. Right. So then it became apparent to me that while I was trying to fix it, it, it didn't fix it. And it turned into more fighting and more problems. And then they were also both mad at me. So, I, it took me a few times to realize the same in events, right? So if I try to fix it and make it better, sometimes it makes it worse. Yeah. I just have this image. You said you were 12 when this went down, huh? Yeah. Yeah. At a young age, I, I realized that that was the, that was our problem. These stinking, the stinking, these bottles. So if I get like in my, in my 12 year old mind, if I get rid of this, then hopefully that'll help the situation. And I'm telling them like, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I don't want this in my life. Uh, But that wasn't the case. And you just reflected so many powerful nuggets there too, of how you getting involved. <clears throat> and again, just going from Murray Bowen's theory has this term called triangulation, where you were in the middle of your parents trying to navigate this. Once you ex- started to extricate yourself from that, they were able to really focus on them. But if you triangulated, it became about you. Yep. You even touched on that with your, with your events too. If mm-hmm. you intervened and, and tried to make it better, then it became about you. And, <clears throat> and so those boundaries and that level of differentiation, that's like you said, making those mistakes again and again, it takes time. Mm-hmm. Are there, are there particular times or burdens that, you know, we, these burdens inspired and we see how what you do today was so inspired by some really difficult things at home. Um, was there a time when these burdens moved, moved from inspiring you and instead threatened to take you out? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, that, that last story that I just told, I feel like that is a huge part of that. Like, I feel like that is where I felt so defeated and so down and, um, like, okay, well, if I can't help then what do I do here? How do I remove myself from the situation when I'm clearly in it? And that's the hard part. Um, but I think that growing up as, as a, and and becoming an entrepreneur myself, I've realized and seen that there is, there are so many ways that you can health healthily, healthily, I don't know, draw the line and say, I'm, I can't, I can't go there. So, yeah. How do you know when you're starting to cross that line? What are some of the flags for you when you're starting to get into that space of over-functioning? I think that when, when I start to emotionally feel stressed for them, when I start to have feelings, I feel things for them. Um, I am, once again, I'm a, uh, Enneagram seven. And so empathy is not my greatest, um, feature. I would say. Uh, and so when I start to feel any empathy, I'm like, oh, okay, I've crossed the line. Like this is too, too much. <laughs> um, so I think that's kind of, yeah. Where it's a, almost, you're taking on the care yeah. and taking responsibility for the care. Yeah. Like I just yeah. want to be so excited for them and be happy for them. And when I'm in that place, like I know I'm in a good place cause that's my personality and that's who I am. But the moment I start to feel like Um, I need to take, I need to make sure that mom does this and that dad is in this, says this in this way, things of that sort. Like then I know like I've overstepped and I, that's not my realm. Yeah, that's, that's a big one. And and I think it's a constant practice when you care so deeply and you are someone who's so in the details of things, right. And Mm -hmm. 
and and checking in not the vision you want versus the vision they want mm-hmm. right yep. and and just checking that um i think that's a lifelong process i think especially when you have such a vision for details and for excellence <clears throat> and for working hard it's it's always checking in where is everyone on this right you know, are we all on the same page right and i think that i do like don't get me wrong i do care about the clients and i do i am there for them in so many ways but i know when when i have crossed that line and like i'll write mm-hmm. toasts i'll write i've written vows before for the groom you know things like that like when i need to be there for them i'll be there for them and i'll make stuff happen um but i but i also know where the line is well you, you talked about empathy and it you're a deeply caring person and you are a deeply feeling person. I sense that when I'm in your presence, but this is what I take from this. And and these are my words is, is more when you start to, because empathy is when you start to connect with the emotion someone else is feeling. So if someone's feeling rage, if someone's feeling grief, if someone's feeling um, despair and you start to connect with that in you and then that when you connect with it, it starts to overcome and hijack you. Yes, totally. That's, That's Okay, because that's how I I interpreted that, and that's that's the risk and the boldness of of daring to be empathetic is because we're connecting with the emotions in our own story, right? But then that's and so many people want to shut that down because feeling that that's brave hard work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. And so I feel like I've I've learned that like I need to feel that for myself, and I need to figure that out for myself, and I need to heal me but I don't need to do that for other people. I can be there for them, but I don't have to let that over overcome me. Or, you know, if a, um, a friend's in a bad situation, I'm the one that's like, okay, well, I'm going to get you out of it. I'm going to move you out today. And like, they, they're not making that choice. I'm making that choice for them. So it does like, if it overcomes me, then it's not healthy. It's a tricky one, right? I mean, there's such an art to that. There's a time and a place to overfunction. And it's, it's very personal, but if there's obviously patterns there, mm-hmm. uh, whether we're the one always rescuing or in this relationship, it keeps happening. It's, it's a tricky one. Cause I mean, there's, I'm just thinking there's times in my life where, yeah, I've jumped in. I'm like, this is life or death. We're going to just get shit done. We're going to do this. And then I have to check it though. on what I can't maintain that that's not sustainable. Right. Right. Yeah. And if, if, Yeah. I think if they don't want it to, like, I keep going back to that, but if they don't want it to, then the next weekend they're moving back in, in, in that example. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. And I, I think for me, sometimes I'm like, they may not want it yet, but I don't think I can live myself with myself if I don't try this one time yes. and do or, kind of where I do this internal check. Go ahead. Yeah. For me, it's like, I, I have to say something and I have to be able to get off, like tell them like, Hey, no, this is what I think you should do. And this is, um, this is what I see to be, to be healthy. And I don't, but I let them then make that choice instead of being the one that's like in there with boxes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so yeah. Yeah. Again, it's so personal, but it requires having this sense of who you are and where you end and someone else begins. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Are there any other, I mean, we've touched on some, but are there any struggles and regular challenges that still show up for you today? as a leader and a prolific entrepreneur? You know, as we have progressed in business, I would say one thing that it took me a long time to learn is finances. I had a really hard time with finances in the beginning uh, because I wanted to put my head in the sand and ignore it because I was so passionate about my job. Like I wasn't in it to make money. I was in it to share love and grace and to make these beautiful events with people. And so I was like, I don't really care about the money, but at some point you have to say, well, wait a minute, then is it a business? And so that's something that I struggled with, or, or is it a hobby, right? That's something that I struggled with a lot. I would say the first mm, five years of business and, um, And so I would say, yeah, that was a struggle and getting through that and coming through that was huge. And my dad is, uh, he's very financially savvy and, but I didn't want to go to him for help because I felt like I'm going to do this on my own. I got this. And so, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so I feel like that was hard, but I have learned through that and I have been through that and, and I didn't, yeah, there was a lot that came from, from that and finances for me is something that I struggled with for the first five years. Now I would say I've, I've learned what I've learned and I am where I'm at and maybe I don't see the things that I'm currently struggling with, but there's, there's not a lot that I, I feel burdened by anymore. 
if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah. What is it, what's attributed to releasing some of those burdens? Taking a step back in my life and seeing where do I feel burdened? Where am I? Where am I still hurting? Where do I need to improve in my life? And really reverse engineering my my goals and my dreams for my own self and my own life. I've I. I, I found a coach who was able to help me do that. They were able to ha- let me take a step back and say like, this is what I want and make a plan from A to B to like, this is how I'm going to get there. Right. And so now I help other people do that as well. Uh, but I think that that was huge for me because I, so many times you feel like, and I watch it in other people too. They, they, you're settling, you're settling because, and you get caught up in the whirlwind and you think this is just life and this is how it has to go, but it doesn't. You get to decide you have control and you can take a step back and say, this is not what I want for my future. This is not what I want for my life and do it differently. And so that's what I did. I, I was able to do that in my life, but also in all of my businesses. Let's talk about your businesses. Can you list your businesses right now for our listeners? Yeah, definitely. So I have Couture Events, which is the um, one that's been in in business the longest. I started at my senior year of college. Uh, so Couture Events is a luxury wedding and event planning. Then I have Coco and Wim, which is also an event planning company, but it's our sister company to Couture Events. And so at one point when we um, raised our prices and really went into the luxury market, I still wanted to provide a product and a business for, um, for, for the girl who I was, right? Like I wanted to get married on the beach and I wanted it kind of boho. And so I wanted to provide something for that girl too. Um, so that's what we created for Coco and Wim. Then we have, uh, Ace Experiences, which is our corporate side. So we've planned events for like Tory Pines Bank, their Christmas party every year. Um, or Becca Tilly, we did her, um, vlog launch of the Bachelor Mansion that would go under Ace Experiences more on the corporate side. So and Becca Tilly is from The Bachelorette or yeah. Bachelor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's from I'm The not... Bachelor. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, For those that are that are in that scene, it's important to know. <laughs> yeah. I, I am not bachelor savvy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. And so that's everything. That's the uh, event and wedding planning side. And then I have uh, confetti, uh, confetti Inc., which is the podcast as well as the academy and the conference. So the academies are online academies. And then the conference is a a three-day event that we do every year. So that's Confetti. And we help women entrepreneurs design a life and a business that they love. Um, And then I have the let's see, she minds her own business is another portion of that. And that's also an on, it's going to be an online program in the future right now. It's a book and a workbook. Um, So that's, that's coming up. And then is there anything I'm forgetting? Oh, our, um, the Dolce Vita retreats. So those are luxury retreats for women entrepreneurs. So that's kind of the other side. So there's the event planning side, and then there's the side where we're helping other women entrepreneurs kind of take control of their life and their business. So you're not bored right now. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm not bored. I have... I have even a global pandemic. You're not bored. No, I have the opposite problem where I have so many ideas and so many things I want to do. And, um, I even, you know, you were, you were talking about my, I I'm wearing a sweatshirt right now that I, <laughs> I embroidered and my husband's like, babe, you're really going to take on one more thing. Like one more bit. I'm like, yeah, we, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get stuff done and I'm going to make it happen. And so yeah, taking on, taking on more rather than less. is kind of my jam. I was hypnotized, mesmerized is probably the better word. I hypnotized, mesmerized by watching you learn how to stitch your sweatshirts on stories. <laughs> It was amazing. I was like, you're like, I got an idea you but the drive that you have and I I just, I I guess to me, I just to me, it means so much knowing your whole story. This isn't some superficial anxiety. It's connected to something so personal and even at times deeply painful. Um, and then to see the good that you've taken it and the creativity and the, the drive that you have and how you use it. I, I think, is, is inspiring and I hope is inspiring for others. It, and it didn't, it wasn't a linear process for you. I mean, you've, you've shared that it, it took a lot of just fi- failing and falling a lot. I, you mentioned your husband too, kind of saying, babe, what's going on? And, and I'm curious too, how has getting married and starting your own family, you have a daughter who just turned three. She just right? turned three. Yes. yes. Our sweet ever. <laughs> yes. Uh, how has that impacted I'm going to ask a two, couple tiered question. I want to hear how it's impacted your work and, and also your healing. Yeah, definitely. So 
I did not marry my father and I am so grateful for that. My husband is the sweetest, most amazing, awesome man. And I, um, you know, I talked about the guys that I dated that I could have so easily fallen into that. And thankfully, thank you, Lord, that I was saved from that. And so my husband is my biggest support. He is the, um, he, he is so safe and so sound and he is the opposite of me. So he, he is a police officer and he takes things in stride and he is like, okay, well, what's the risk associated with this? What could we, and I'm, I'm like 110 all the way. And he's like, just back up, hold on, let's slow down. And so we are a great balance in that sense. I also am all about like the beautiful things and I get to see all the pretty all day long because of weddings and events. And I am the positive side, whereas he sees a lot of tough stuff. So he's like, baby, you need to be cautious out there. And I'm like, no, it's fine. I'm gonna leave the doors open. I'm gonna leave the keys in the car. Like, it's totally fine. He's like, oh, maybe not. Like, maybe we need to be a little more more cautious. <laughs> and what what's his what's his enneagram? Just out of curiosity, has he taken? Oh my gosh! I my husband, who's a retired, he's an educator, but he's a retired ocean lifeguard, and I joke and call him Captain Safety. He's a he's a six. Okay. So yes. there's something I'm like Captain Safety, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> which I appreciate that too. That's awesome. Yeah. So he definitely, he definitely. A lot of people, you know, it, there's some challenges being with someone who sees the world so differently, but. It sounds like we both really also value their it's anchoring to have someone keep us putting our feet on the ground. Yes, it's too. so yes. anchoring. And it's also, I feel like it's also good for him for me to be like, okay, let's go. Like I'll I'll totally keep him kind of wild and he keeps me safe, right? I don't know if you saw the story. We recently went to um the beach to watch the the algae the glowing bioluminescent mm-hmm. algae and he's a police, yeah. police officer. So he's like, babe, we can't go on the beach. And I'm like, but everyone's going on the beach. I'm going on the beach. Like it's, it's happening. I'm doing it. And so I took my daughter down on the beach and he stayed on the sidewalk and waited for, you know, then the police start coming and <laughs> we're running back towards him. And he's like, I told you, but at the same time, like, I feel like it's good that like I'm pushing us to get down there and he's pushing me like, you know, but we got to keep it safe. So it's both ways. I don't know. Interesting. I mean, you know, what's so beautiful about that, though, is he's like, OK, go to the beach. I'm staying here. And then the cops come and he's like, see, yeah. you know, and it's like you do you, I do me. And, you know, but there's that there's a healthy balance there. There's something really beautiful. Yeah. How How is that? How has your marriage impacted your work and your healing? I think in so many ways, I think that uh, he has helped me to also draw family boundaries. Right. And Mm. my marriage, I also felt like now I have my own family unit that I'm going to take care of and that I get to decide what our traditions are and what our life looks like. And I don't have to base it on what was previously shown to me or what my example was. I get to decide for my future moving forward what that looks like. And I also was able to discover my purpose at a young age, which um, I believe like we're all here to serve other people, right? We're all here for a purpose and for a reason. And for me, um, the way that I do that is to inspire and to create. And so if I'm able to do that every day, what a huge blessing. And I'm able to do that with him and with our family, right? Like I'm able to incorporate that into our family and also figuring out what is what drives him, what, what's going to drive our daughter in the future. You know, she's three now and I'm already looking for like, what are her things? <laughs> what's what, why is she here? Um, what's her purpose and who is she going to become? And I also don't want to mess her up. Oh goodness. So <laughs> figuring all of that out, but I think that it has been healing for me. We, we got married at a young age. I was 21 when we got married. And so that we've been through a lot, we've been through a lot of ups and downs, but, um, but I think, you know, he's also so stable and my family was so unstable. My dad was so unstable. So I think that that's been huge. Yeah, definitely. And that can have an impact as you are continuing to create and iterate. But because you have such a, this is, again, my observation. Mm-hmm. So tweak that. But just as you are continuing to grow and dream with work, the anchor of your marriage and your family, though, helps ground you in those boundaries we talked about earlier, too, because you care so deeply about your family and your marriage. So it's neat to see how that helps contain you or like ground you like you can run on the beach, but you eventually run back. Exactly. <laughs> Follow. Here's the law. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. Got it. Check. Yes. Puts me into check sometimes. So I want to talk a little about your your book. You mentioned she minds her own business. And I, I don't know if I shared this with you when we met in person. 
But I remember going, okay, here's another person. I had a cynical part come up. I'm embarrassed to say, because I'm not a very cynical person. I think I was a little tired. And I was like, here's another person just talking about you do you and change the world. And I'm like, okay, okay over it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And so I'm like, but you know, I'm cheering you on. And yes, it's cheer on leaders. And, but I, I could hear that voice kind of start to blend a little bit with me. But then you stood up. And I, I will say one thing that I'm pretty good is I have a very high BS detector. When, <laughs> I mean, I, my first job out of college was working in politics. So I just, I like swam in the deep end of bullshit all the time and yep. spin. And so, but I was like, so I sat up in my chair and I was like, she's authentic. She's sincere. Oh, wait, she genuinely cares about every woman in this room. I can feel it in yeah. me. Yeah. And then I just, I was like, oh, and I think I probably only heard half of what you said because I was like, <laughs> I don't, when's the last time I've been in a room with someone talking about purpose where I didn't feel like it was a bunch of bunk. Yeah. And, and so I was just, and I was kind of doing my own navigating the voices and the parts of me internally that were just having a hard time trusting that, that you're a real deal. And I could just tell, I feel the authenticity and, um, and, and also to this event for our listeners, I walk in, it's a book launch and I got a bouquet of flowers that lasted for two weeks. Oh. I had a bookmark. I had like a goodie bag. I had photos oh. from a photo booth. I mean, the whole, I was like, I mean, and, and I love to put on good experiences too. So I was like in like experience heaven there. Yes. Um, so, but again, I know that that can be that can be just a surface. People can have everything look pretty. And and then I've learned in, in my line of work, you know, I know there's a lot underneath that, but what I was, I just appreciated the genuine care. And you said something at that talk, you said, okay, everyone write this down. Cause you don't put it off till later. Cause your later won't happen. So take a moment to write it down. I was like, I like, okay, where's my pen? All right. I'm listening to Christelle. Yeah. Where's my pen? Yeah. And I wrote that down. So talk to our listeners just a little bit about She Minds Her Own Business. Um, it's this beautiful guide to help people discover meaning and purpose in their work. And, and I talk about the book and also what led to the shift of kind of creating this part of your business. Yeah, definitely. So I think that I saw what I was doing with the weddings, right? I was able to create these beautiful, wonderful, spectacular events and experiences. And as I transformed my own life and my own business to being something that I really loved and I loved doing, I was like, other people can do this too. And I feel like I was selling, I, I felt like I'm selling myself short. If I just focus on designing weddings, what if we design lives and businesses? How can I do that? And how can I go so much deeper and have so much greater impact? And so that's what the book is about. It's all the lessons I've learned in the last 10 years of business all rolled into one. And as I continue to learn, I'm like, okay, well, now I want to share this with them and I want to do this. Um, but I feel like it's it's the first 10 years and it's everything that I felt like I needed to grow my business and to really, once again, take that step back and see like, what do I want for my future? What do I want for my life? And how am I going to get there? So, you know, we, we go through and we talk about values, which you're right. Like it, I feel like it is a topic that comes up a lot and it is cliche, like values, passions, purpose, um, all of that. But I, it is, there's so much goodness and deepness there. And so if you're able to really wrestle with it and sit down and go through it, I think it's life-changing. Yeah. And I, I, when you sit in front of somebody who genuinely believes this stuff, you, that is contagious on you. And that was my experience uh, when I was sitting in front of you talking at your book launch here in San Diego mm -hmm. and, and, values and mission and purpose. Those are things I visit a lot, but I ended up writing some things down that night that actually were fresh and tweaked. And I'm realizing that oh, this process always needs to be revisited mm -hmm. because I'm changing. We all as humans are changing, but when you have someone, a guide, um, a leader who genuinely sees you not as a number or a statistic, but just genuinely believes this and you're, you're living out your mission, mm -hmm. that is, con that is contagious. That is healing. Um, and so, that I was just so grateful to connect with um, for you. So thank you for showing up in this area. I love that. Thank you so much. And I really do feel like, you know, as I said, like I don't have, um, I, I, I do, I do care so deeply because I know that you can change your life. Like I know that that's true. And it, it is, it is coming from an authentic place because I've done it. Right. So I feel like that's where that comes from. 
And, um, and so I do have empathy for people in that way and saying like, Hey, I'm, I want to take you to the next, I want to help take you to the next level. And what does that look like? So. And I, and I think too, in a world that can be cynical and hard and, and people can then have the beautiful Instagram life, Mm -hmm. but on behind the scenes, they're not consistent. I guess this is my, my bullshit detector is now you're living every day in and out. Shoot, watch your dang stories. You're up at two in the morning trying to figure out how to cross ditch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's real. And also, it's real, but it's real. Yeah. yeah. You have to, you have to create that for yourself though, because I, there could be a lot more going on. But for me, I've learned how to cut, cut out the noise. Right. And so I focus on what I know to be true and what I can control. And there, there's a lot there. Like there's a lot you can control in your life. And when you focus on those things, oh, how much better it can become. Okay. So you talk about cutting out the noise. And so the way that I see that though, often that noise doesn't go away. It's still, it can get pushed aside. It, it can get exiled. Um, you got to deal with your stuff. Hurt. Like you got to deal with your stuff. Totally. But I mean, noise from the outside, like you can't uh, let that in. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now more than ever. Oh, Christelle, now more than ever. I had one of those mornings, the morning of recording this, where I walked to my husband and said, it's it's Looney Tunes out in the world. I don't think I could help any. I, I think it's like past the point of redemption. He's like, this is a moment. It will pass. I'm like, okay. Yeah. It just had it. He's like, he's like, were you on Facebook? I'm like, yes. Oh, <laughs> yes, gosh. I was. No, can't do it. Can't do it. Don't, don't watch the news. Goodness. <laughs> turning off social media for a while, particularly Facebook. Um, Christelle, what are you working on now in addition to cross-stitching and designing uh, some new sweatshirts? What are you working on right now and where can people find you? Yeah, definitely. So right now I am working on online programs and actually I'm creating coaches uh, creating a certificate program for coaches. Um, and so that they can help other people through this process, right. Of, um, of discovering, designing and creating their own life and business. And then as far as where you can find me on Instagram, you can follow these, my stories, my wild stories of, um, learning how to sew and embroider at 2am at, at Christelle, K-R-Y-S-T-E-L, Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y on Instagram. And then as far as the website, you can find me at coutureeventsca.com or christelstacy.com. There's lots of businesses. Hopefully you can link them somewhere. Um, or yeah, we'll get them all. Yeah. We'll get them all linked. If you go in. To my Absolutely personal, you'll find, find the others if there's anything else you're interested in. Christelle, thank you so much for taking the time away from your newly beloved sewing machine to do this interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the beloved sewing machine and the, and the work. I, yeah, definitely. Of course. My honor. I am so great. I'm grateful for your leadership and thank you for um, your trust in sharing a bit of the private and personal with me and with our listeners. I know many people are going to get a lot out of this and are going to experience some help and be inspired to get some clarity on their purpose and increase boundaries in their life because of listening to this interview. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Leaders who overfunction care big and can also crash big. Good intentions and a desire to succeed and have those around them succeed can quickly morph into an exhausting way of doing work and life. Fueled by anxiety, a high sense of responsibility, and lack of clear boundaries, overfunctioning can hijack the best of us. As an adult child of an alcoholic who she deeply loves, overfunctioning was the status quo for Christelle in childhood and when she started launching her businesses. Her attention to detail and desire to create experiences that are more than just beautiful shifted to a more sustainable and boundaried life. Embracing the inspiration of her attention to detail and releasing the responsibility of overfunctioning in favor of a life aligned with her purpose and vision differentiated from those she leads and supports, Christelle models finding more power and clarity in her work and life. In a world that celebrates the tyranny of the urgent and over-delivering, unburdened leaders take the inspiration from their story that fuels their life's work while being crystal clear on where their responsibilities end. 
They are rooted in the fact that their worthiness never expires and their safety is not contingent on everything being held together by their effort. Unburdened leaders are not afraid of being all in and giving their all. They're just not willing to sacrifice their well-being or alignment for meaningful work in the process. Where are you overfunctioning in your life? Where are you working harder than others in life and work? And where do your boundaries need to be more clarified and fortified? If you're ready to stop overfunctioning and want to deepen your capacity to set and maintain powerful boundaries, book a connection call with me at www.rebeccaching.com. Thank you so much for joining this episode of The Unburdened Leader. Make sure you follow Christelle on Instagram for a source of nutrient-dense inspiration and authentic leadership, which is such a breath of fresh air these days. You can find this episode, show notes, and free Unburdened Leader resources, along with ways to work with me at RebeccaChing.com.